This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Patrick Newbold, the Assistant Deputy Commissioner and Deputy Chief Information Officer at the Social Security Administration. Uh, Patrick, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. Hey, thanks for having me. The reason we're talking today is because you had a great conversation, at least I thought, think it's a great conversation, but you offered a little bit of insight into in terms of something that Social Security Administration is doing with their data. And you mentioned at a recent event that you had a meeting with the Baltimore Ravens football team to discuss data and how they use data and how maybe you could borrow some of their lessons learned. Maybe let's just start at the beginning. What was that meeting about? When did it happen? What was the impetus for the meeting? Give me some background. As I say, we often conduct uh, outreach discussions with public and private sector leaders to learn how other organizations create IT outcomes and provide business value to speed, scale, standards, and security. So we, we use these discussions to validate our approach and provide lessons learned on our best practices. And, and since other organizations are often on similar IT modernization journeys, so the Ravens discussion we view the Ravens organization as um, one of the best at providing a great customer experience in the NFL. We thought that uh, meeting with the Ravens would provide value to SSA in delivering on our retirement, disability, and supplemental security income benefits. So we wanted to, we reached out and asked to talk to them um, about data. Um, and one of the questions we asked the Baltimore Ravens was how business intelligence and analytics changed their service delivery model. The Ravens shared an excellent use case with us on how data was able to challenge one of their assumptions on fan demographics. So early on, when they started to aggregate that data, uh, that data disproved the assumptions they had about their season ticket holders. Um, their fans were a lot younger than the marketing assumed. And so uh, with BI, it led them to change uh, the music and they played and the food and drinks they served to better engage those fans. So Data provides the Ravens with um, some insight to fan demographics that they wasn't necessarily uh, tracking, and it allowed them to uh, market uh, to a growing demographic fan base that uh, BI exposed. So our discussions also reinforce that business intelligence is only as good as the data available and the quality. Data governance is essential, and enterprise data governance programs are, are not easy. So with various... Uh, data sources available to the Ravens, but also various data sources available to us at SSA, you can get several answers to the same question if not careful. So a key point that we learned from Boston Ravens and, and through our discussions is, you know, really, again, having that strong government. And, but also uh, they highlighted that use data as a tool, uh, not as the final answer. And that resonates with us because as we invest more in BI neighbor technologies as an agency, we also must recognize that factors should inform strategic decisions, other factors that should inform strategic decisions. And data is critical and is important, but not the only factor. So, you know, Patrick, I got to ask the question. We know the Social Security Administration is headquartered in Baltimore. I was just uh, saying to uh, your, your press person, I grew up, you know, maybe 10 miles away from SSA, so I know it well. Are you guys in Baltimore a bunch of Ravens fans or... Uh, is that why you reached out? Is a little fandom going on here, or, or was there something else that, that kind of spurred that, that that question? Oh, absolutely. We had some, some interior motives. We have a huge fan base of the Baltimore Ravens uh, with that headquarters staff who's, who's headquartered in Baltimore. And reaching out to the Baltimore Ravens to talk to us about data 
But we were able to uh, have uh, many of our enterprise executive leaders participate because they're very, really anxious to, to have those discussions with uh, Baltimore Ravens. So our CDO participated, and many of our other business executives uh, listening, which makes good sense when you, you have your business and your IT and your data all tuned in on how we can, you know, help take those lessons learned and, and improve on how we operate within our within our agency. So. Uh, a little bit of strategic motive out there to, to have a team that I know everyone can relate to, but also talk about some um, data topics that are very important to us. And I think the connection is real. I mean, you at Social Security, you have a huge kind of group of citizens uh, or your customers. And, and the Ravens, in many ways, have a very similar. Their fan base are men, they're women, they're young, they're old, they're tall, they're short, whatever it is, right? They're all different ethnicities. So how do you reach those people in a, in a specific way and make sure that you can connect with them? Is, was that the other kind of impetus? Because not every organization that you deal with has that same challenge as SSA, right? I mean, you could look at a soda company or a tissue company, but but the football is, is is so part of that Americana that that kind of everyone loves. Is that the other reason? Just because they're they're very similar in terms of the challenges that SSA faces. That's correct. You know, the Baltimore Ravens shared with us that they want to uh, mature the way they use data um, about their fans to reveal, you know, details and about their habits and preferences and more. As I say, we also share that goal, and we want to use data to monitor and improve the way uh, we do business and service, deliver our services to our citizens. And we also share uh, several challenges. Uh, one, the, uh, the importance of data selection. The Baltimore Ravens, they leverage NFL-wide data as well as their Baltimore Ravens-specific data, and they use that data to to inform decisions so, like the Ravens. We at SSA want to create a, a primary source of SSA-wide data for BI consumption that supports that ad hoc cost-cutting uh, capability to uh, do some data analytics. So different, completely different organizations, but same goals and, and, and mission desires when it comes to uh, how we can use data to really inform the way we want to move forward. There's plenty to talk about here, but I've just a couple other quick questions around that, that meeting with the Ravens. Did you meet with their CDO? Do they have a chief data officer? Did you meet with their CIO? Who did you meet with, generally speaking, you know, title-wise? And then also, is this something that's going to happen just once, or do you expect it to happen every year, every other year? Or do, you, do you have any kind of regular cadence you expect to kind of just check in with them? We met with their their uh, their CDO equivalent, and we did leave that conversation. And, hey, we, we have a lot we can collaborate and talk on and share ideas. So we do plan on uh, having recurring discussions on, you know, keeping each other up to date on where we're going, um, as well as our challenges and seeing how we can learn from each other to kind of, you know, straighten our individual programs going forward. So we do look forward to having a, uh, an existing relationship with the Boston already. And at the same time, have you done this type of reach out to the private sector in big organizations like the Ravens before? Have you reached out to, you know, just, you know, Coca-Cola or Pepsi, or have you reached out to, you know, Procter & Gamble or something like that? Have you kind of done other things in, in other sectors? Oh, Yeah. We strive on meeting with industry leaders, and, and our goal is to kind of leverage uh, any kind of lessons learned um, that we can gain to help enable our successful implementation of our digital marketing strategy. And we see these type of conversations heighten, not only heighten our self-awareness uh, to avoid potential blind spots, uh, but also just exchange the different ideas. Uh, since June, we have met with uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, the Federal Retirement Crypt, Investment Board. We met with Fannie Mae, uh, the Target Corporation, and of course the Baltimore Ravens. 
Uh, we also met with a couple of thought leaders since June. That's the former General Motors CIO, Ralph Agenda, and the former IR Commissioner, Charles Rizzotti. Uh, you know, so we take these conversations, we highlighted about three important lessons learned from these conversations since June, and we are baking those into our um, strategy. They, they all uh, are around governance, data, and culture. Those are some common themes when talking across all of these uh, companies and other federal agencies that they had. So, so how do we govern to ensure that um, as the agency's transformational vision drives everything we're doing, drives our investment? How do we use data to ensure that we're getting the right insights to make the right, the best decisions capable? And then how to do the drive the culture on accepting the type of change that is needed uh, when it comes to transforming the way we do business with our services. So, so we all share uh, common themes and, and, and those uh, governance, data, and culture were, were three of the common themes that we were able to capture out all our engagements with these uh, external entities. All right, there's some big big hitters there. Obviously, we know uh, former IRS Commissioner Charles Rosati quite well, but J.P. Morgan Chase, big financial management firm, Fannie Mae, FTRIB. Uh, of those, uh, do you have a favorite, Patrick? I'm going to put you on the spot. Maybe it's hard to say who's your favorite child. I know you don't want to make anyone mad, but uh, was there one that was you know kind of better or, or more interesting or more like you learned more than than maybe another? I can honestly say uh, we've learned our entire agency uh, learned aspects from each and every one of these companies that we talked with. Uh, there are so much to value for each and every one of them. I don't have any favorites, but I, I love them all um, and. And just as the Baltimore Ravens, these not one-off conversations. We had a couple with J.P. Morgan and Chase. We had a, one with um, Fannie Mae and Thrift Investment Board, and, and, and we have some upcoming touch points with those two organizations as well, um, as well as Target. And so I, I cannot say that uh, one was spent out better because all of them provide contributions and, and, and different aspects that we want to take collectively and help us move, move our program forward as well. I kind of figured you may say that, but I had to ask the question, of course, right? Just in case if uh, if, if there's something uh, uh, more interesting or better, or just something that stood out to you. Patrick, the discussion you had with the Ravens and the other companies is really helpful, I know, because you, it was one of the things that you also mentioned at this event recently was that SSA is in, in the middle of kind of a, a big digital transformation effort. And I think every agency is always in the middle of a big digital transformation effort. But one of the things you mentioned was SSA is working with the U.S. Digital Service to develop a new customer-centric website. So maybe start there to, as, as a way to discuss some of those digital transformation priorities that you're you're working on over the next year or so. So SSA, we view digital transformation as continuous, so it never really stops. But um, over the, the next year, we, we do have some priorities, and those uh, include partnering with USDS, but also focus on expanding our digital service offering. So what we want to do, is be able to provide the public with uh, additional digital services such as online, remote, and self-service options that represent the best of uh, current technology while maintaining our strong commitment to security, uh, protecting uh, the public against the emerging cyber threat. So we believe with the combination of those additional, additional services options and uh, secure access to those services, our customers will have the confidence to use our, our offerings um, on, on a day-to-day basis for their needs. But a key objective in the expansion of digital service offerings is uh, redesigning our website to, uh, to enhance the user online experience. To improve the customer service, uh, we plan to deepen our understanding and our customers 
uh, including what drives their evolving service needs, will learn about our customer journey through various service handles and touch points. And one of those is a voice with a customer feedback. We want to capture real-time customer feedback. Not only to use that feedback to assess if what we have in place is working, but to identify our customer pain points to help us design those future digital services that I talked about earlier. But through our continued partnership with USDS, we are leveraging them to help us use human-centric design and practice and, and best uh, techniques to create that new and improved SSA.gov experience. So USDA has helped us implement best CX practices to design, but, but also analyze and evolve how our customers desire to go through a journey to start to finish. So we plan to implement solutions that provide you know, a full digital service experience. And USDA is, is great in kind of guiding us in that direction for many of our services, and especially on mobile devices. We really want to ensure that um, we offer more digital capabilities that can be leveraged on mobile devices and from any location in that service. I'll give you an example. We released an application that allows customers to express a protective intent to file for the Social Security uh, Supplemental Security Income Benefit um, online. And we have also uh, prioritized within our plan uh, designing a mobile accessible online process that will uh, upload forms and other documentation. All that will be assessed. Uh, be able to access from our, through our website. So USDA is a, is a, a strong partner, and uh, we continue to, uh, we look forward to our continued partnership uh, with them. Interesting that when you talk about you just launched that new SSI supplemental benefits online. Was is that that's something that obviously you guys have been working on for quite a while? I imagine with USDS, what went into that design? What went into that effort? It was was that like. I'll use quotes here, a pilot to say, okay, let's start here. And if that process works, we'll take that process and then apply it to other areas across SSA to, again, do the same thing, move more benefits, move, move more forms, move more uh, services online. Well, I would say several conditions made for the comprehensive retooling of that website necessary. And one of them is to support our broader digital translation goals. Um, we had, since March of 2020, uh, increased reliance on online channel for self-service accelerated by the health and safety concerns posed by the pandemic and our shifts to online and phone services as a primary way for as one of the primary ways for customers to get into them. So we, we needed to make the, the, the website a little bit more user centric for citizens to, to interact with us and, and, and navigate through transactions they want to, to work with us. So, we want to make sure that uh, we built uh, the website on using human-centric design practice, using customer journeys and life events to structure our work um, around that. Uh, we conducted about 65 or so customer interviews and testing sessions that informed our design. We uh, discovered that uh, the task-based approach of our content worked much better than a program-based one which was the original design. Um, we had key features um, in mind of the new design. One, our homepage, we want to make sure highlighted the services that customers need and use the most. Anything that was not a top need or, or usage of our customers the most, we want to eliminate it. I believe that elsewhere. 
and so we had a more streamlined approach when people are interact with our site. We wanted service-specific pages to streamline and drive towards action. We noticed that our citizens, our customers, when they visit us, many times they wanted to drive towards a specific action, and so we we, we put that in design and and we needed to have um, interactive ways and tools to help with our complex topics um, like um, our benefit eligibility. So our user testing and demonstrated that new approach was pretty successful. Through that feedback, we had a um, high percentage of that success rate. It reduced the customer time to task uh, significantly. And um, currently, we have the, the beta out um, version of the, of the website out um, with a limited group of a larger limited group of, of customers taking a look back and getting feedback. And thus far, we've been getting some promising feedback. But a lot of work went into that before we even launched that, that data. But our goal is to continue to get that feedback, that voice of the customer, and modify and adjust the, the way our website is structured based on that feedback. So this is not a one-time, we think we got it right. Uh, this is an iterative approach. approach. Uh, we want to take real-life feedback. Um, and when it makes sense and the customers are telling us it's not working for us, we'll be uh, making those adjustments as, as appropriate. Patrick, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Patrick Newbold, the Assistant Deputy Commissioner and Deputy Chief Information Officer at the Social Security Administration. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Patrick Newbold, the Assistant Deputy Commissioner and Deputy CIO at the Social Security Administration. One thing that stands out to me is you talked about 65 customer interviews. Was this 65 individual people or 65 groups? Because unfortunately for you all, your customers are 350 million people, every one of us. So how how do you strike the right balance of of the customers? Because you can't interview all of us, but there's a percent play here, right? How how do you find that balance of who to interview and how to interview them? And and maybe just walk me through a little bit of that. The 65 was was a mix of groups and some individuals. So 65 was not indicative of how many specific individuals was was much wider than that. And that we got a lot of feedback back to help shape the where we are today and we'll like we'll continue to get feedback through our data and, and, and through our evolution of getting feedback through the site as we go forward. All right, it was good news. I didn't think it was just sixty five people. <laughs> I figured there were some groups in there. There's a lot of different people with different needs that, that you guys uh as to say help uh, service. Other transformation priorities that that are on your agenda as well. I think the website update and some of the services is good. Are, are there some other things that, that you're also trying to work on? Or You mentioned just briefly a new digital transformation strategy that's in, in the works as well. Maybe you could touch upon that. Absolutely. You know, our number one objective is to align with the present management agenda and our agency strategic plan that was just released. But if you haven't had a chance to that, I actually just take a look at that plan and kind of give you a roadmap of where we want to go from an agency perspective, from an agency strategic perspective. But our priorities is, again, to expand more options for the public to transact business with us online. And in our next phase of our digital transformation strategy, uh, which is we are drafting now, we will focus on improving customer experience by reducing the burden on the public. What we want to do is eliminate requirements to conduct business in person, present hard copies of original documents, remove requirements for signatures on a document, or electronic signing options. Now, these objectives will require SSA to uh, reimagine uh, business processes and 
foreground policy and the enable, enabling technology. Uh, we also want to uh, modernize our enterprise IT systems. For example, our systems that administer benefits have been cited by GAO as one of the 10 IT systems across the executive branch most in need of modernization. We have begun submitting some modern claims and intake adjudication software, but we want to continue to finish that work and retire uh, the legacy systems. And modernizing our benefits information system remains a focus to us. And during the next phase of our digital modernization, we'll also uh, continue. We also want to improve customer service, as we've mentioned in our discussion. We plan to implement modern customer relationship management software. As you know, our employees interview citizens, our offices, and our nationwide toll-free telephone number. Our goal is to enhance uh, SSA's relationships with and interactions with the public. As you know, we transact business with the public on pretty much all major life milestones. And so we want to make sure that we're uh, putting some focus on technology, tools, and processes in regards to customer relationship management. And that's going to help us better engage uh, with our customers. We are still working with our AC business components to, to flesh out our digital modernization strategy fully, and we do have much more work to do. But our high-level goals include leveraging our people, our processes, and technology to empower our customers to easily access our services and complete most transactions independently through world-class multi-channel experience. And we want to simplify and automate business processes to enable resolution of customer issues at first contact. So we have a, a very aggressive and robust uh, plan as far as the next digitization, modernization plan. But we know this is we know these items are very important to the customers based off the feedback that we've been receiving through our uh, Medallia survey and, and and the customers and, and groups that uh, represent uh, the citizens. Patrick, I know a lot of vendors do listen to the program, so um, let me try to get ahead of their question for you so you don't get a ton of email that you probably already do get. When will that strategic plan roughly be out? You think summer, you think fall, just do you have a timeline yet? We're working hard. We're working hard. The first step was for the uh, agency strategic plan to get published. That was published. So over the next several months, uh, we want to uh, do some fine-tuning, um, communicate a little bit internally, um, and then at some point soon, We'll uh, release that digital modernization and, and look forward to how uh, we can partner with the uh, industry to, to make it uh, to realize those goals. All right. I think it was something that we'll all look out for as, as it happens and, and something hopefully you and I or, or, or maybe your CIO, Sean Baroon, will want to follow up with us on as well. And then the second question, of course, you mentioned the CRM uh, software. Is, is there anything you can tell us about that plan? Is that just in the early stages? Have you already started implementing that? I think the big question you may get from a lot of vendors is, is there an acquisition coming around it? Anything you can mention to kind of give them some, some direction so you don't get, again, inundated with phone calls and emails? The current IT modernization plan that we're operating on today that uh, with a five-year plan, I think you're aware of it. We did start foundational work on a CRM platform. And so over the past several years, we have been doing some work on um, designing and building that out. And so we'll continue upon that and expand that out in the next iteration of the digital modernization plan. All right, very good. I think it's just helpful to know, kind of give folks a heads up. So again, you don't you don't get a lot of uh, meeting requests from uh, CRM vendors, right, Patrick? <laughs> the last piece I want to make sure we hit upon before I let you go is is the workforce. I think uh, 
that's a huge issue for not just SSA, but every agency is, is when you go through this digital transformation, part of this is a cultural transformation too. How are you addressing that cultural side as you move to the cloud? You don't need as many data centers as you need more people with data science backgrounds to help with analytics. What's SSA doing around that workforce uh, uh, piece? This is a great question. Now, you know, I believe that the best way to effectuate any type of culture change is to include those affected by the change and have them be part of shaping it. We want each individual to see themselves in our transformation efforts and, and help drive it. You know, the, the public, quite frankly, wants a better customer experience with us. Our, our citizens are changing the way they desire to transact business, seeking more digital and self service options and we need to respond faster and more be more creative to continue to support them with the business. So IT needs to uh, produce the, the workplace conditions that enable speed and creativity um, for the business. So therefore we started a campaign to reach out and listen to our workforce. We use feedback from employee surveys, uh, focus groups and other forms of engagement with emphasis on culture and leadership to transform our talent, our communication, and, and digital environment. We, we created a, uh, a culture and leadership program where employees throughout the organization at all levels uh, volunteered and committed themselves to serve as cultural influencers with the goal to spark uh, the grassroots change. And, and that has been very successful. Um, our influencers help focus on why of the change and top-specific actions to it, applying an agile mindset to cultural transformation and ensuring our workforce see themselves as part of shaping that change. Some of the focus areas uh, we have today include moving from silos, being reactive, being right the first time, to that of being collaborative, being proactive, and accepting failure as immersive learning opportunities. We also host agency-wide events that offer opportunities to ensure our workforce is aware, can use new technology to introduce. Um, most recently, we held our first annual Digiday Forum. What that forum focused on was providing a, a learning experience on our M365 suite of tools and how our investments in these capabilities can help enhance employee experience. We had almost 4,000 employees participate in that form and received very good reviews on how uh, this event made the use of some of the features less intimidating and useful to their day-to-day -day operations and made the way they're performing their day-to-day -day a little more easier because they had the opportunity to engage and get training on some, some, some of the new technology that we rolled out. So that type of uh, form is starting to change our culture towards adopting and accepting the use of new technology. So we'll continue to do uh, more of those, more outreach to our grassroots to drive the type of culture that is needed to uh, enable transformation and it's showing good dividends so far. Patrick, we're just about out of time. I know that, but real quick, what's your message about this digital transformation effort that a social security has been undergoing as you continue down this path? What do you want people to know about the goals and, and what you want to accomplish over the next year or more? The digital transformation at SSA in in general, has the power to really revolutionize how we provide services to the citizens. And we at SSA are laser-focused in ensuring that the products and services that we provide are built and designed with the empathy needed to navigate 
SSA citizens, citizens that, that are leveraging SSA services to navigate them through those challenges. So, you know, customer experience, human-centered design, data-driven capability um, is our, our cornerstone uh, where we are headed in our next uh, digital, digital transformation journey. All right, very good. Patrick, it seems like we could talk longer, but I know we're out of time for today. So let me thank my guest. Patrick Newbold is the Assistant Deputy Commissioner and Deputy Chief Information Officer at the Social Security Administration. Patrick, thanks so much for taking the time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We have to take a break. When we come back, we'll shift gears and hear about FEMA's journey to the cloud. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. I'm here with uh, Jim Rod, the Cloud Portfolio Manager for the FEMA at the Homeland Security Department here at the IAC Emerging Technology and Innovation Conference. First of all, Jim, thanks so much for taking the time. Well, thank you. Just finished off a panel discussion around multi-cloud, so there's plenty to talk to. And I'm going to start at the beginning for FEMA. You've been on a cloud journey for about a year now. Let's get the latest update. Where are you with your cloud journey? Sure. So we started with AWS initially. Um, that was the first one we had ATO'd um, about six months later, uh, about March of last year, I guess. We started started bringing uh, Azure in, and that's been ATO'd as well. So both of those are fully up and operational. Right now, we're currently working on a new project with one of our partners, um, Pivot, which is the National Flood Insurance Program, are bringing up Google Cloud Platform. They're actually doing it in conjunction with USDA, and but they're bringing it up in a methodology that will allow us to absorb it into the FEMA Enterprise Cloud with no issue. So it's all our standards and everything like that. Let me jump into that because that's a great partnership that because FEMA partners with USDA probably on the flood stuff and mm -hmm. helping people recover from floods, how's it? How's that working? You know, I, I don't really know how it initially came together. I mean, interestingly enough, when I first took the position over, I wanted to speak to, you know, some other cloud brokers that were, you know, in the federal government. And three that popped up was two under DHS, which is uh, USIS and CBP. So I've talked to them, but neither one of them have a multi-cloud solution with a chargeback methodology. So we wanted to make sure we were speaking to somebody in that realm as well. And USDA was pretty much the big dog on the block. They had a very mature cloud doing chargeback. They're multi-cloud. They're hybridized. So it only made sense to go and talk to them. So I started talking to Casey Cook there at USDA. He would help me with, you know, governance policy. Hey, how'd you handle this? Hey, this just happened. I'm not sure how to handle it. What do you think? And he would give me an idea, you know? And I, I actually think that was extremely beneficial because hearing some of the growing pains that the other agencies went through certainly made it a lot easier for us to bring ourselves along. I think the key here is two things. You have that collaborations happening between FEMA and fill in the blank, in this mm -hmm. case USDA. And I think that's so important because everyone has similar challenges, right? Yeah. Like, like, yes, you do your own thing and USDA has their own mission, but you're all moving to the cloud for that same piece. Yeah. And then the second is this multi-cloud world and the chargeback model. So let me start with what's the maybe the big lesson you would impart to others who are moving into this chargeback model, the multi-cloud approach. What's the one thing that maybe USDA told you that you said that is the golden uh, uh, ticket there? The thing with the chargeback is being able to offset cost. I mean, that's the name of the game. You know, all said and done, you know, our current cloud 
footprint is probably about two to three million dollars a year. Okay, if we can offset some of that, rather than right now, you know, we're carrying all of it. With time, as we ingest more clients in and stuff like that, we should start to see an offset in cost. The important things are. You can't make money on it, the federal which is, government. Which is the worst <laughs> part of this because, as, as you well know, I just have to jump in here because I, I, I cover shared services quite a bit, and there's nothing worse than the, this inability to, to make a dollar right. to help pay for future needs. Anyways, yeah. go ahead. You said, so you've you got to figure out how to break even. Right. So, you know, that's your goal ultimately is to break even. Um, I don't honestly, with us having to support, support our own uh, security infrastructure and everything like that, I don't really ever – think we're going to get to you know even if we got to 50 percent though that'd be outstanding you know so we developed a cost model it's uh it's what we wanted is a one-stop shop a client comes to us tells us their need um, or we help them to develop a solution but we didn't want them to like then have to talk to the sustainment folks and get a price then talk to the licensed folks and get a price so we tried to make our cost model as inclusive as possible. It covers everything from your basic compute needs, your migration, your ATO, your licensing. I mean, everything. We're actually adding cyber to it right now. Now, when we developed this cost model, it looked great to us, but we wanted to test it out. So we gave it to Gartner, um, and they looked at it, and we did a big briefing for them, and we showed up how it worked and everything. And they actually came back and said it was elegant, which we thought was a pretty cool you know, description of it. Um, and it's, it's served us really well. It's, it's giving us, you know, our future internal and external OCIO clients, you know, the opportunity to really be able to plan efficiently by having all of that in one place. Let's delve into that cost model. You, you go to your mission areas and say, if you want to move this application to the cloud, it's going to cost you X. And then you explain them how it works. And mm -hmm. what's the reaction been? Has it been, has it been some kind of hesitancy and then they have to learn about it yeah, there's a, there's a big mean, cultural change here obviously yeah there's obviously a massive culture shift with moving to the cloud you know um and and, and fema is just as uh aware of that need for a culture shift as anybody else is you know our mission being what it is and having to respond to disasters instantaneously we try to sell it on the scalability the flexibility you know um, the ability to to convert our uh redundant possibilities, East Coast, West Coast, North, South, um, across this CSP to this CSP. You know, we try to show all that, but they don't really see it. You know, that's the back end. So the important thing for us is, like, when I do my little briefing, one of the things, like, and this would be a briefing to a prospective client who has no knowledge of the cloud, pretty much. Um, we give them a, a little briefing on, you know, the status of our cloud to date. Um, and one of the things we like to do is, or me personally, like, I don't make any promises on price because here's the reality. In any government agency, for that first year or two, you're running hybrid. You have to maintain that physical environment, especially for somebody with a mission like ours, where we have to be up no matter what. Um, so, you know, we have to run hybridized for at least a year or two. And during that time, obviously, your price, you know, your, your costs are going to be substantially higher. So I actually kind of stay away from that. Or I brutally tell them, look, this first year or two, it's actually going to be more expensive. But as soon as we can start turning off your stuff in the physical environment and, and shutting that stuff down and killing those contracts, that's when you're going to start to see your cost savings. And those cost savings, what, what are you seeing so far, the difference are we talking about? 
ten percent, fifteen percent? Do you know oh, yet? Oh no, it's more. We are looking at at just our environment up at the headquarters level right now. It's more like the thirty to forty percent. I think that's a that's a great example of savings. I think one of the things that people talk a lot about when it comes to cloud is all the money they can save, but it's really the resiliency and, and the improvement and the flexibility, the agility. We have to take a break. My guest today is Jim Rod, FEMA's cloud portfolio manager. When we need help, I caught up with we Jim turn at the recent ACT IAC Emerging when Technology and Innovation help, Conference. They turn to Federal I'm News Miller, Network. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jim Rod, FEMA's cloud portfolio manager. I caught up with Jim at the recent ACT IAC Emerging Technology and Innovation Conference. How are you guys starting to use cloud? that's impacting disaster relief and disaster management. You mentioned this idea of uh, we used to need 15 to 20, 25 to 30, 18 wheel trucks for a disaster. And now because the infrastructure is lesser, mm -hmm. you're able to, to bring less equipment. So talk a little bit about right. that. So, uh, you know, I, I speak to the, to the regions that are the actual responding, you know, elements pretty often. Um, and, and when I speak to them, you know, one of the things they mention is, you know, if they're responding to, to something like a, a hurricane or something like that, it powers out the generators. Um, you know, they need computers. They need network. You know, all these different capabilities. And one thing that we have seen with the cloud is, you know, we're not taking servers out to disaster sites. We're um, much more mobile with the use of iPad surfaces, uh, mobile phones, and now in, in that same realm of redundancy, our IoT devices are on FirstNet, which is the AT&T first responders uh, network, which gives you 5G and also gives you, you know, uh, first crack at bandwidth. So we have that, and then we also have, uh, like, another redundant backup, which is satellite. So we still have need for staging equipment and moving it in and everything like that, but the footprint has definitely gotten smaller with the advent of newer technologies. And is connectivity back to the cloud something that is concerning? Because if you go into a place that got hit by a tornado and they took down a lot of the power lines, for instance, are you using satellites or using Depends your own? Depends on the situation. We, you know, we have all three capabilities now. So if, if we can get, if internet is still up and we can get on to our like Equinet or, or our, our AT&T pipe, I mean, that's the most favorable one. It's the fastest um, and, and uh, most efficient. If that's not available and cell towers are still up, then we got our first ne network. Both of those are down, then we start moving towards satellite. So it really depends on, on what the disaster is and the level of destruction. As you kind of looked out to the future, do you see that footprint of a disaster relief from a technology perspective shrinking more. As you said earlier in our conversation, you hope to get to the cloud fully by 2023. What is, what's that going to mean in 2024 and beyond for that disaster relief and management? Well, like I was saying in the, on the panel earlier, you know, you're never done. Even if, but if we do successfully move our, you know, headquarters felt of a footprint into the cloud by 2023, it's not static. It doesn't end there. You know, um, we're constantly, one of my goals as the cloud broker and the cloud PMO is I, I have a, a solutions architect who works for me, um, and his job is to meet with all of our vendors on a quarterly basis. And those vendors are telling us about the new things that they have, things that they think can help us, things that we could be doing to be more efficient. Um, do we do all of them? Not necessarily. But there are some that are worth me bringing up to 
the ITGB or the governance board, then it may become part of our architecture. Unfortunately, in our first year, like I really didn't have much of an opportunity to do that because we were working on so much at the same time. But now things are starting to even even out a little bit, and we've got like a really good flow going, you know, a process for getting into the cloud and everything. And because of that, we now have the freedom to start looking at stuff like that. So yes, you know, we, we're definitely always interested in modernizing. And I mean, I, I think we will get more mobile, you know, um, it, you know, it definitely puts a weight on IoT. And with the possibility of moving into RPA and, and machine learning, and where that's headed, and like with gentlemen today started talking about quantum computing, I was blown away by that, because I didn't even realize that the federal government is actually even looking towards that. But that's the future. <laughs> You just said uh, we meet monthly with our vendors, and and we're going to try to get you ahead of all the vendors getting you an email from this conversation. <laughs> is there a way that they do? You have a vendor management office. Do you have a way um, folks cannot have to bug you with twelve hundred emails? We already have account executives. You yeah. know what I mean, and they know what our schedule is and everything like that. Um, but we do have a, a, a Mahalia Jackson is our IT vendor point of contact. Um, so they can contact her if they're not somebody we're already working right. with. If it's somebody we're already working with, they it's already scheduled. <laughs> Just want to get ahead of that because you know you'll, you'll get a lot of emails that. now. <laughs> you mentioned a RPA automation. You mentioned mm -hmm. ML, potentially AI. What are you looking at? What, obviously, it's in the beginning stages now, but where do you see that going and the impact it can have on, on FEMA's well, mission? It's, it's kind of interesting. The need or the driver right now for RPA for us is actually on the finance side of the house. Um, they can become a lot more efficient by processing through RPA. We, like architecturally, want to look at that from a higher level, though. You know, RPA can help a lot of folks out, not just finance, you know. And and then if we're willing to break into RPA, then machine learning is just right behind it, you know. One of the precursors that we're watching, though, is like the overall federal government directives on machine learning and artificial intelligence. There's not a whole lot out there yet. Um, and so... Seeing that my methodology has been to go and talk to other agencies and everything like that and, and, and learn from their lessons learned, you know, do we want to be the first ones that try to go down that road? I'm not sure. Um, but we may, you know, because it certainly could become a lot more efficient out in the field responding when you do have RPA and ML capability. Uh, you got plenty to your plate is full, so let me uh, let Jim go back to his day job. <laughs> Jim Rod is the Cloud Portfolio Manager at FEMA in the Homeland Security Department. Jim, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. There are a million reasons e-commerce shoppers don't buy. In fact, 97% abandon their first store visit. AdRoll retargeting keeps your brand on their mind, so they come back to buy. Visit AdRoll.com to start retargeting today. Hey, electrical contractors. I'm Matt from ABB. Are rising costs and product delays keeping you up at night? 
we can help you contractor better. ABB's contractor resources are designed to help you increase productivity and profitability on your commercial construction projects. Check out Contractor Better today. Visit go.abb slash contractor better.